Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Today marks the beginning of Holy Week. It is, in Christian churches, in fact, the holiest week of the entire year. As it commemorates Jesus' last week on earth, culminating in His crucifixion on Friday and the eventual resurrection on Easter Sunday. Of course, we celebrate that next week. Speaking of which, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 12th, we will live stream our sunrise worship service beginning at 6.45 in the morning. A part of that service, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we want you to be able to celebrate that with us. Now, of course, that service will be reposted, and you can watch it later in the day if you wish. But to be prepared, simply have some bread and grape juice on hand, and when in the service we get to that point that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, then you and your family can share it with us. So in essence, we will virtually celebrate communion together. So here we are in the story from Luke. We pick up the Palm Sunday event. And the first thing we read is that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, He just finished talking about how we can invest our time and talent and treasure for the kingdom of God. After He finished saying this, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As He approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as He told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. This Palm Sunday event is taking place just days before the Passover celebration. The Passover, which commemorated, of course, for God's people, the delivery from Egypt, from their bondage and enslavement by method of God's provision and mercy. The ultimate was the tenth and final plague when the Lamb's blood, the sacrificed Lamb's blood, would literally be painted over the doorposts of the home. And so when the angel of death came... He would literally pass over those homes. And so they celebrated Passover every year from that year forward until it was finally culminating in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the season of Passover. All that they had been eagerly anticipating was to be fulfilled at the murder of Jesus. And so Jesus is making His way with the crowds For this big holiday celebration in Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is basically across the Kidron Valley from the temple. So Jesus was passing along the Mount of Olives, and the temple was in sight, and Jesus knew it was time to begin the procession. Think of it like a prince riding into town so that he might take his bride. And in this instance, the bride is us, the church. 
And so how would he travel? On the back of a donkey. That's a humble way to go. It's an exceedingly humble way to travel. So Jesus comes as this humble prince. He comes in a way that no one is expecting. He lived in a small town, not a big town. He was poor, not rich. He was homeless. He didn't live in a big city. And for the first 30 years of his life, before he began his public ministry, he worked alongside of his adoptive dad as a carpenter. And here, this humble, simple, homeless prince begins his journey to his city, his palace, as it were, to die and secure marriage with his bride, the church. That's amazing. No one expected it to happen this way. But there's something really interesting here. He tells his disciples, go get that donkey. And they do. And so as they go to this guy, who's the owner, apparently Jesus knows through the power of the Holy Spirit what's going to take place. And they go to this guy and they say, hey, we, we need this colt. We need that donkey. Why? The Lord needs it, they say. Remember, Jesus told them to say that. The Lord needs it. So who is Jesus? The Lord. This is important. There are many titles for Jesus in the Bible. He is rabbi, good teacher. He's king. He's prince. He's friend. All these titles. He's the good shepherd. All these images and titles for Jesus, and some of us can pick one that we like and see Jesus that way and kind of omit the ones that we don't like. So some would see Jesus primarily as as a friend to the poor or as a teacher, but not God, not Lord, yet He is. He's all of that. The shortest declaration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to say, Jesus is Lord, that He is above everyone and everything. There is no equal to Him. There is no created thing or person alongside of Him or above Him. The Jews would have heard that as blasphemy. Only God is Lord. And Jesus is saying, yes, I am that sovereign Lord. The Romans would have heard this as treasonous. Only Caesar is Lord. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm Lord. So Jesus is establishing himself in authority over everyone and everything that has ever lived upon the face of this earth and ever will live on the earth. What a massive statement. And so they say, the Lord needs it. As a side note, you and I need to be this way with our possessions. Lord Jesus, it's yours. You need me to fund a particular cause for your kingdom? Glad to. You need me to open up to those who are are struggling to provide help? It's your pantry. You see, the owner had this open-handed attitude. This animal was his valued possession. But if the Lord needs it, he can have it. So they take the donkey to Jesus. And the full meaning of this can be lost because we think, well, that's just a humble way to travel, right? 
But here, Jesus is actually making a very public statement, an important public statement by His action. See, some people wrongly say, Jesus never presented Himself as God. Yes, He did. And He did it in a variety of ways. Sometimes He would just say it, at other times He would just show it. Here on this Palm Sunday occasion, He did both. He said it, I am Lord. The Lord needs it. That's what you're supposed to say. That's what the disciples are supposed to say to that gentleman. And then he also showed it when he says, go get the donkey. Now, most of us wouldn't recognize that part. We hear donkey and maybe our minds go immediately to Shrek and we think, what does that have to do with anything, right? But for those who were waiting, there had been a prophecy given hundreds of years prior through the work of a man named Zechariah, and God promised through him, you'll know your prince has come. You'll know that your king is among you. The Lord is at hand when something happens. And here is exactly what Zechariah said. Hundreds of years prior to Jesus, this prophecy is given. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Another name for Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Okay, here he's coming. How is he coming? Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this prophecy given hundreds of years prior, your king is coming. He's humble. He's victorious. He's going to save you. And you'll know it's Him when He rides into Jerusalem on a young donkey. And they've been waiting for hundreds of years. On the road to Jerusalem that day, must have been several people who asked, well, who is that? Jesus. What's He riding? A donkey. Oh, it's that day. It's that day. Here comes the King. So the next thing we learn is that Jesus is king. We return to Luke 19, beginning at verse 35. They brought the animal to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, now hear those religious guys, we've seen them throughout the gospel stories as those who are so combative to Jesus, always out to test Him, tempt Him, rebuke Him. We got to give them an ache for consistency. They're always right there. The problem is, about 99% of the time, they're wrong in what they believe. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. At this point, Jesus has ministered in some 35 different locations most of them rural, and He is now approaching for the last time the great city of Jerusalem, and He tells His disciples, go get that donkey. He knows He's presenting Himself 
as the fulfillment of prophecy, as God among us, as the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And so they go and retrieve that donkey. But of course, there's no saddle. Jesus is humble and homeless and poor, and He doesn't have a saddle. So what do the disciples do? They take their cloaks. Now, this is an important possession for them. Their cloak, most folks only had one, was used to protect you from the elements, keep you warm as you're traveling. You see, it wasn't like in our day. Most of the times you would sleep outdoors if you were traveling. Or if you did happen upon a friend or family's home, homes were so small in those days that chances were you were maybe out in a barn. And your cloak for you was your blanket at night. And they took their cloaks and they tied them around this animal as a makeshift saddle for Jesus. And they sat Jesus upon it so everyone could see Him. And they all began to praise Him. Now, there are two responses to this. Some people rejoice. They worship. They're glad and they celebrate. That's what we just read. Verse 37 again. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices and for all the miracles they had seen. And then they quote from Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. People are celebrating and shouting. They're lining the streets and they cheer and they sing and they're filled with emotion and passion. There's hope for us as a people. Our good king has come. And if you know anything about Jesus, then you know that's true, that He is good and kind and gracious and merciful. See, you and I, by nature and by choice, we are sinners, rebels, lawbreakers, enemies. That's why there is no peace between God and us. But in this man, Jesus Christ, He has come to die in your place for your sins and to rise victorious to be your Savior. And as a result, through this man, Jesus Christ, through faith in Him and the forgiveness from Him, there is peace between you and God. If you are a child of God, hear me in this, God is not angry with you. He loves you. God is not sick of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God will not abandon you. He has adopted you. Yes, God might be disappointed with some of the things that you're doing, but He's disappointed because you're His child, and He loves you, and He has so much more in store for you. There is peace between you and God. He is not against you. He is for you. And Friends, even if you suffer, God is not punishing you because He's already punished Jesus in your place, so it would be unjust for God to punish both Jesus and you. There is peace between you and God. Sometimes in our suffering, it's the consequences of our sin. We reap what we sow. Sometimes God allows us to go through a hard season just like a parent who will make correction to instruct and mature their child. But there is peace between you and God if you belong to Jesus Christ. And they rejoice how? Loudly, we're told. 
This is the part we could grow in. Amen? See, all of us are worshipers, and we'll go to a stadium, an arena, a field. Someone will do something amazing, and we cheer, and we jump out of our seats, and we get really excited. We clap, and we sing their praises, and we put their faces on the front of our T-shirts and their name on our back. And yet, when we hear about Jesus, it's not so great of a response. Or for some of you, you, you want to be expressive, but you're worried about what other people will think. Well, man, is this the perfect time for you. You're at home. You may be alone. At best, you're with family. Hey, raise your hands. Shout hallelujah and amen as much as you want. They're rejoicing. And then, here's the second response. The first response is the crowd and their exuberance. The second response is in the midst of that, the religious leaders come to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, uh, this is a bit much. It's getting a little too loud. I think we think, you know, we took a poll. We think we're the ones that, that get the vote on this, that it's just too much. It needs to be toned down. See, all the guys in big hats and long robes are uncomfortable all of a sudden. And Jesus says, well, I could stop them. But if I do, the rocks will cry out. And I don't think you'll feel much better. (laughs) Why will the rocks cry out? Because all of creation rejoices around Jesus. All of creation exists to glorify Jesus. And if the people aren't praising God, then apparently it gets to a point where it's like some really crazy musical and the trees and the rocks jump in. It's like the, the craziest kids movie ever. And you get a glimpse of this in Romans 8 when it says that creation has been frustrated by human sin and that creation longs for the liberation and deliverance that Jesus brings so that it might be free to glorify the Creator God of the Bible. Jesus is saying here, I am to be worshipped and the people are not wrong. And even if you silence them, the rocks will cry out, Again, some will say, Jesus never considered Himself God or presented Himself as God. Oh, yes, He did, and that's why they killed Him. But now He's alive, and He loves you. And every week, we open up the Bible and say, hey, here's Jesus. Do you see Him? Let me share Him with you. Get to know Him. He's amazing. Lord, God, Savior, King, it's fantastic. That's what it means to be a church, friends. A church is nothing more than a bunch of people looking at Jesus. That's the church at its best. You want to boil this down to its basic essence. Why do we worship? Why do we want to be a part of a church? The answer is Jesus. We're all around Him. And the job of preaching and teaching, my job, is to open the Bible and say, here He is. And then to invite you all to gather around Him. And then what? To respond 
rejoice, be generous, celebrate, have hope. You see, that's our job. And if we don't do it, the rocks will. But it's not the job of a rock to rejoice and respond and be generous and to celebrate and have hope. That's our job. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king. The one who conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. You have taken the throne and are wearing a crown. You are coming again to put an end to sickness, suffering, injustice, evil, death. Lord Jesus, we confess that you are alive. We confess that you died and rose. We confess that you are our great king. You are our Lord. You are our Savior, and you are worthy of praise, and we were made for that. And when we do it, you get glory, we get joy, and others get saved. And we pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.